Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today we are breaking down every single game, except for the night one that just happened in week five. Usual shenanigans going on in this one. Every afternoon game, including the morning one that was played in London. Good on us for sending the Falcons and the Jets over to that country we beat a couple hundred years ago. As always, I am joined by none other than Dwayne the Rock McFarland, PFF Senior Analyst, creator of the Utilization Report, number 17 in your programs, number one in your hearts. What's up, Dwayne? <laughs> I'm good, man. I'm good. That was a great intro. Thank you Thank very you. much. Yeah, week week five, uh, more data, ready to unload it. All right here. Got to let everybody know. Like This is, like, is kind of like you get the cheat version of the Utilization Report, like on Monday morning. It's kind of cool. Like, it takes me another freaking two and a half days to write the damn thing. But, you know, you get the basics of it right here. <laughs> Eventually, we'll get cocky, and then we'll just start talking, and then we won't do the grind, and then we'll suck at our jobs, Dwayne. So we got to keep doing the writing, so then we can talk here and things uh, come out to come out well enough. So, per usual, people, we're going to go through each and every one of these games. I'm going to kick things off and go through things I noticed while watching the games that didn't necessarily pop up on the box score. Just some general cool shit, and then a quick overview on the injuries. Then I throw it over to Dwayne for the specifics on the utilization we're looking for. Finally, I get us out of here with a PFF Lily stat, which is just named after my wiener dog, and it's a cool stat that I happen to come up with. So just deal with it, okay? It's my podcast. I want to name a stat after my 28-pound wiener dog. It is what it is. Let's get started with the London game. The Falcons defeated the Jets 27-20. Atlanta covered as a three-point favorite, overcashed at 45 and a half. Wasn't able to get my eyes on this game a ton because I had to record our PFF NFL show during the morning. What I did see is that Matt Ryan, to be fair, someone that we haven't given a ton of credit to start this year, maybe deservingly so, continues to play at least turnover free ball. And this has been like the big difference for me in approaching Matt versus uh, Big Ben because clearly neither has looked good. But Matt Ryan is at least still doing some things that you would hope veteran quarterbacks are able to do. Distribute the ball around, not continuously implode your own team week after week after week. Matt continued to do that. Not the biggest test with the New York Jets, but hey, you take away Calvin Ridley, Gage, and all these other guys, good performance by Matt Ryan to ring up 342 yards and two touchdowns through the air. Can't talk about the Falcons without bringing up my guy, Cordero Patterson, 21 touches, 114 total yards, and he even got on the passing box score. This is how smart this guy is. He's not just a great player, everyone. Cordero Patterson had a rush. It was going for a loss, going nowhere hot. And what did he do? Instead of taking those yards, costing your fantasy team, he threw the ball out of bounds. Incomplete pass, back to line of scrimmage, no fantasy points lost. Pour one out for CPAT tonight. You owe him one for all year. But the main attraction, everyone. It was Kyle Pitts week. 10 targets, caught nine of them for 119 yards and a score. I mean, Dwayne, like, I think I talked to Andrew about this more, about how I was laughing about the whole industry. Like, oh, Kyle Pitts, rocket ship week. Like, let's get it. I just, I didn't move him in my ranks. He was my tight end five once George Kittle got ruled out before, and he was my tight end five after. Like, if you were really worried about his lack of efficiency during the first few games, and okay, I guess that's on you, but last week he had nine targets. Week one, he had eight or nine. Like, he's always been the number two pass game option in this offense, and yeah, he got bumped up, like, of course we're starting him in this spot. My point was, like, you should have been starting him no matter what, whether or not uh, really was there. So just something to keep in mind there. On the Jets side of things, I'm hoping that Zach Wilson made a couple of entertaining passes. Again, though, haven't had a chance to go back and look at this. I'm going to throw it over to you, Dwayne, because it seems like Michael Carter is finally starting to take over. And, hey, 
We got the bye coming next week for both these teams. We got bye week starting next week. Spoiler alert, everyone. Falcons and Jets both on the bye. It seems like Carter's moving in the right, right direction to take this backfield over come week seven. Yeah, a few utilization notes on this game. Number one, you know, just starting with that Jets backfield. So we saw for the second week in a row that Carter really did dominate as far as the rushing attempts go. He had 59% of those this week. He handled 52% of the snaps, which was first on the team. The next closest was Ty Johnson at 39%. Ty Johnson still has that two-minute offense role, so he's handling 82% of that. But we did see Carter get a little bit, Ian. And so that's how it sometimes that's how it starts sometimes, right? It's just like it's like the door opens, like, and you see a little light shining through it, and it's like okay, now can he like just bust the door down? He had 18% of the two-minute work, and he had 44% of the long down and distance work, while 48% of that went to Ty Johnson. So I think it's a good day for Michael Carter. 59% of the attempts, 44% of the long down and distance, 18% of the two-minute offense. For those of you new to the podcast wondering what the hell is long down and distance, what does two-minute offense mean? So long down and distance, those are situations where 90% of the time the NFL, NFL teams pass the ball. Right. And so we just want to know who do teams have on the field? In this case, what that means, it is second, third or fourth down with over three yards to go um, in those situations. Ninety percent of the time NFL passes. So uh, Michael Carter is out there more and more in those situations. Not quite all the way there. But yes, again, I think it's very encouraging. Um, just another quick note on the Jets. This one's a little bit more of kind of a you know a bummer less than an, than an upper. Um, it's Elijah Moore in his first week back since the concussion was only out there for 41% of the team snaps, 44% of the routes, um, you know, per pass play ran. Keelan Cole was actually splitting that work with him. So it was Corey Davis and Jameson Crowder, really the main two options out there. Um, Corey Davis was out there for almost 80% of the routes. This is another thing we're seeing, though, is that the Jets now, I want to say, I'd have to go back and check, but I want to say three out of the five weeks we haven't even seen Corey Davis get to the 90% mark of routes, which is what we really want to see, you know, for our our top-notch wide receivers, which I'd say, you know, we're, we're thinking Corey Davis is a wide receiver three, and I still think he stays in the conversation, even with this utilization. He still led the team in targets with 24%, but we'd much rather see Corey Davis out there when the Jets suck as bad as they do. Like, we want him out there all the time, right? Because we don't want to miss that one chance that he could actually, like, catch a blown coverage or something and get hit for a touchdown by Zach Wilson. We don't want any of those opportunities being missed. So, just something to keep an eye on with that. And then from the Falcon side, you pretty much nailed it. Um, you know, Kyle Pitts, like the utilization has been there all along. Like the, the, the numbers, you know, 80% of the routes is where we want to be. He's been there all season. But now we've seen the targets come over the last two weeks. Of course, Calvin Ridley being out helps. But you know what I like about it, Ian, is even though Calvin Ridley's out, the player that demands the most right, from coverage on the opposing team, Kyle Pitts was still good enough to demand targets, right? When they know that it's going to be him and Corderell Patterson pretty much all day, and both players were able to come through. So that says a lot to me about Kyle Pitts. Also says a lot to me about Corderell Patterson. Patterson did see a bump in playing time with Calvin Ridley out. Most of it did come out wide. He didn't really take much away from Mike Davis. Now, he did get more of the carries. Um, He had 55, uh, 48% of the rushing attempts, 45% of the rushing attempts went to Mike Davis, but really his big boost came from about a 25% playing um, percentage increase based on getting the lineup outside because Calvin Ridley was out of the game. Yeah, it's, it's a good point on Pitts making the most out of those targets. He had a sick one-handed snag over the middle, and the touchdown was him basically beasting over a cornerback as he was drafted number four overall to do. So definitely credit to Pitts, and uh, I'm happy we got past some of those ridiculous, you know, if Kyle Pitts can't break out this week, is he ever going to do it? Uh, let's give these rookies a couple weeks to uh, get going, everyone. 
Uh, only injury that seemed relevant in this one, but we didn't have to worry about was Cordero Patterson briefly going to concussion protocol, but returned and he was good to go. He is the subject of our PFF Lily stat, which is in five games this year, Cordero Patterson has 66 touches. That's his second highest single season mark ever. He had 85 in 2020. Like they do not give this guy the ball enough and they never have throughout his career. Finally, the 2021 Atlanta Falcons are, and I think it was PFF Sam. I saw someone say on Twitter, they were just like, I can't wait to have to discuss Cordero Patterson's 2021 season with the Falcons when we're talking about him going to the Hall of Fame, because this is going to throw such a wrench in it. Now, you know, people like myself, just the stands, the freaking presidents of the fan club everywhere. Not only do we have the kick return goat numbers, but we can point to this one year where he got the high end usage and just balled the hell out. Great day to be a Cordero Patterson Stan, Packers beat the Bengals 25-22. to Green Bay covered as two-point favorites. This one was swinging to the Bengals more and more as the week went on. Under hit at 50. So if you guys like watching missed field goals, this was the game for you. Because the last seven possessions ended in the following. Missed field goal. Missed field goal. Missed field goal. Overtime starts. Interception. Missed field goal. Missed field goal. And then the Packers won with a game-winning field goal. Like, I always get some people when I say band kickers on Twitter, like, oh, Ian is part of the game and all this. Why shouldn't it be a part of fantasy football? I don't think it should be a part of real-life football either. Like, look how ridiculous this is. We could have had Aaron Rodgers and Joe Burrow going tit-for-tat, but no, we got to watch a bunch of guys that probably hang out and practice with the team once a week while they spend the rest of the time on the soccer field ruining everything for us. So with that off my chest, oh my goodness, Devontae Adams just went the hell off in this one. It was almost like a quiet 206 yards, Dwayne. Like, I understood he was going off while watching this, but the ease that he does this every single week, while every single defense knows where the ball is going, it's just getting like, he goes for 200 yards and you just say, oh yeah, it's Devontae Adams against the Bengals. I expected him to do that, so... Pure goodness from Devontae. Had a 59-yard bomb down the middle where Rodgers hit him. Also scored a short touchdown. Probably could have had another short touchdown at the end, but Rodgers couldn't get it to him. That was the only pure sheesh I had in this one. Um, some other quick highlights. To set up the game-winning field goal, Aaron Rodgers had a really nice like 15, 16-yard gain to Randall Cobb. That'll be a fun one to look back on the All-22 here in a few days. Aaron Jones saved his day, uh, had 103 rushing yards, wasn't getting much going until the fourth quarter, ripped off a 57-yard run. And why did he rip it off, people? Was it a fluke? No, it's because Aaron Jones is really freaking good. So if I see any of you out there taking away that 57-yard run this week and trying to say you had a bad game, I will, you know, I, I might just ignore it. I got better things to do, but I won't be happy about it. <laughs> if it gets brought to my attention. Finally, on the Bengals' side of things, Joe Burrow seemed like he was concussed after trying to John Elway his way over to a first down marker. Came back in. He actually did suffer a throat contusion, which he is now in the hospital for. So, hope prayers up for Joey Burrow. Hopefully, he's better. Seems to have avoided a major injury, but I'm not a doctor. I don't know exactly what throat contusions uh, consist of. Otherwise, Joe Mixon came in. We'll get your th uh, you know stuff on the utilization here in a second, Dwayne, but I just wanted to point Went out on his, I think it was an eight-yard touchdown run. He looked healthy enough. I mean, he put this Packers defender in the dirt. Reminded me if uh, you know, if I was better at video editing, I would take it and then get that like GTA wasted when the freak, you know, when your character dies after trying to do something dumb. That was basically what happened to the defender one-on-one -on -one with Mixon in the open field. And finally, truly like the other star of the show, only reason why he wasn't more featured was because of Devontae. Jamar Chase, 10 targets, caught six of them, 159 yards and a score. A touchdown, 
Maybe the defender, like the defender was in position, probably should have gotten a hand on it, but he didn't. So Jamar Chase caught a deep crosser and took it 70 yards to the house. Just throughout the whole game, man, you could tell that him and Burrow were on a different plane. And hey, we've talked about the volume concerns here with Chase uh, throughout this year, Dwayne, but the more and more, man, and I just, the way I see Burrow locking on the Chase, you know, in the most high leverage moments and stuff, we might have those concerns with Higgins and Boyd, but I think more and more here, Chase is going to get his, whether it's through a lot of volume or whether it's through him just continuing to look like one of the better rookie receivers we've seen in recent years. Now, over to you, Dwayne. Let's talk about this Bengals backfield first. We knew Joe Mixon was going to be limited. How bad was it? Yeah, he was very limited. He only played 28% of the snaps, handled uh, 20% of the routes um, per pass play, but he got 43% of the rushing attempts. 48% went to Samaji P. Ryan. So he essentially took about half of the rushing attempts. There was 9% that went to Burrow. So when you look at it just from a backfield standpoint, it was almost 50-50 as far as the rushing attempts. But didn't get any of the short down and distance work, only 25%. Was not out there on long down and distance, 18%. Did not play any of the two-minute offense. All of that went to Samaji P. Ryan, who had 90% of the two-minute offense offense had 71 percent of the long down and distance so it's clear that they just wanted to use him in spot duty you know which is kind of weird it's like do you really want to risk like getting the player hurt again but whatever it means the Bengals they kind of do their thing um so i mean p ryan it probably scared a lot of folks off of p ryan and he ended up scoring a touchdown probably could have come through in some box scores for some teams that were starved at running back i know i had a few where i was like i don't know what to do i, I didn't i didn't want to play you know, P. Ryan or, or Mixon because the team doesn't run that many plays, which you already hit on. So um, we'll see what happens. But, you know, the fact that he was able to get out there, Ian, I would look for him, you know, if he's limited early next week, you know, and then he's, you know, gets a full practice in by the end of the week. We're probably looking at Joe Mixon being back, you know, 90% full strength, you know, and you're just going to be able to go ahead and trust him in your lineups. Um, the other couple of quick notes on this one, nothing really from the Green Bay side. You you folks all know, like, it's the Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones show. Um, A.J. Dillon got out there and worked in a little bit, but it was still mostly Aaron Jones. But as far as the Bengals, just real quick, like, yeah, the Jamar Chase thing that you hit on, um, I agree with that. I think at this point it's like he is, you know, the, the alpha. He had 25% of the targets today. 14% to Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd had nothing until the very end of the game. Like he was giving you, giving a complete donut. Um, and then 22% to T Higgins. So that's encouraging, you know, the first week back for Higgins, um, you know, coming back from a shoulder injury and he was still number two in the pecking order. And I, that's, that's pretty much how I see it, Ian. It's like Jamar Chase, Higgins, and then Boyd. And I, I hate that because, you know, I love Tyler Boyd, but I feel like really he's the odd player out because he doesn't score a lot of touchdowns. They're not running enough plays. They have two other good targets. So it's like, he has the least leverage, you know what I mean? It's like, at least with Higgins, if he doesn't come up with six or seven, you know, catches, we know he could come up with a touchdown, whereas that's just less likely for Tyler Boyd. So, um, yeah, I'm leaning into Chase. I think he's a wide receiver, too. I don't think we can treat him as anything less. He's going to have wide receiver one weeks. I think his bad weeks, he's pretty much shown us, can still just be wide receiver three, even though this volume is low. Eventually, it's going to bite us, right? Eventually, we're going to get a wide receiver four week out of Jamar Chase. But, look, it happens to all players, so I don't want to overreact when that happens. T. Higgins. I think of as a wide receiver three right now um, who gives you upside to jump in the wide receiver two range. You're going to get more wide receiver four weeks, you know, than you would out of Jamar Chase, out of T. Higgins. But still, I mean, Burrow is playing well enough despite we have the limitations on the offense. Like they had today 67 plays on offense, and that was with an overtime, you know. So at least we got we got an extra 10 plays out of it today, basically, Ian, versus what we've seen for their season, for their, uh, season average. Like, this was the week where it made more sense than ever to open it up. Jair Alexander-less secondary, you had a banged-up Mixon, 
and we couldn't even get to 40 pass attempts still. So. Hey, my number one stack today in DFS yeah. was I went Rodgers with Adams, and then I mixed in Cobber Lazard, who neither one hit, but my bringback player was Jamar Chase. Yes, sir. So, like, things were off to a great start, and then Tom Brady threw for five touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear you, man. I, I was right on that same uh, wavelength. Now, what, what hurt me so bad, uh, you know, these damn helicopters, I was between – Marvin Jones and uh, Mike Evans, and you guys can all figure out which one I uh, end up picking. So, uh, alas, yeah. uh, here we are. Only uh, other injuries I mentioned the Burrow issue. Chidobia Wuzier, who had a great interception on Devontae Adams earlier in the game, was playing well, and he has been performing well all year. He suffered a head injury, and Jesse Bates, their stud safety, uh, he popped up somehow. He got taken off. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but I'm just saying, like, the Bengals. Credit to them for playing really hard on defense throughout this game and throughout this year. They've been better than we expected. If you take away Awuzie and Jesse Bates, though, this all of a sudden becomes a group that we can target with reckless abandon. So not a lot of times where we need to pay a ton of attention to singular injuries on you know defensive depth charts and stuff. But when we can get, like again, the two linchpins of one secondary out, that's where we could be looking ahead for big things in week six and beyond. PFF Lily Stat includes both of these stud receivers. And I didn't even mean to do it. Just works out that way sometimes. Since week one of last year we have 263 players with at least 25 targets only one of them has averaged over three yards per out run Devonte adams at 3.1 and second place at 2.98 jamar chase that three yards per out run number is bonkers people julio jones and Devonte last year are pretty much the only receivers to do it over the course of the last half decade the fact jamar even in a five-week sample is close to that is some true madness Next game, we had the Steelers defeat the Broncos 27-19. Pittsburgh covered as a two-point dog. The over hit at a lowly 40. Um, only real sheesh I had in this one. Javante Williams had a monster 49-yard run, took a sweep and just, you know, accelerated and was able to find that lane. Got ruled down just short of the goal line, which, hey, 49 yards, like you're not pissed off about that. I get it. But we didn't even get the goal line chances because he was hyped, as he should have been. He just ran for 49 yards against the Steelers, and he spiked the ball. So what the refs do? Called a delay game penalty on him and moved the ball back from the goal line. So, unfortunately, we did not get a short score for Javante, but continue to see him look like the best back in this backfield. Dwayne, I'm sure you have some bad news about the utilization uh, behind these numbers, but just realize, everyone, Javante is looking good with his opportunities. On to the Pittsburgh side of things. You know, Ben... No interceptions on 25 pass attempts. He probably should have had two or three picks, but they're going to drop them sometimes. This was not a redeeming performance, I think, by any stretch of the imagination. He threw a nice deep ball to Deontay Johnson for 50 yards on pretty much the first series of the game, just like he did last week. How many targets did Deontay Johnson get after that? One. What did he do with it? He took like a short slant, 22 yards, because the guy is a freaking beast with the ball in his hands. Like, we're not going to worry about this, people. I'm pretty sure on the preview for this last week, I was listing off Deontay's target totals with Big Ben. This is the first time in healthy games with Big Ben since week one of last year that Deontay has had fewer than 10 targets and he wasn't benched for dropping balls. So he's still not dropping balls and he's making the most out of his targets. So Chase Claypool, five catches, 130 yards in the score. He had a good day for himself. The big thing with these receivers was that for once, Pittsburgh was able to get a lead in this one and Big Ben only had to throw the ball 25 times. So wouldn't count on this version of the Pittsburgh Steelers being able to play with this sort of positive game script week in and week out. We'll see much bigger days from Deontay Johnson. Johnson, and credit to Claypool for making the most out of his opportunities. I mean, he's been someone where it's been more like, how can we trust Chase Claypool to get this done when the air yards he's getting are prayer yards from Big Ben? Well, 
Chase Claypool, at least today, man, he was making all of his business after the catch. Slant, curl, making dudes miss, and just really being a beast out there on the field. So Juju Smith-Schuster suffered a shoulder injury. That's probably why Claypool got more of those looks. But hey, if Juju is going to miss time, I think Claypool, wow. The days of expecting top 24 production from multiple guys in this offense are over. I think Claypool could be back in that upside wide receiver three range in the nice spot. Only other note, uh, Najee was finding some nice room uh, on the ground. It seemed like he was a little banged up throughout this one, so I would monitor an injury report. Nothing serious, uh, but we saw a little bit more Benny uh, Snell and even Kalen Balage than we're used to seeing. And that was it for the Steelers side of things. Teddy Bridgewater, credit to him, man. He was playing pretty bad, I thought, early on, but ended up bringing them back. And they were inside the 10-yard line at the end of this game, trying to have a chance to tie it. Unfortunately, couldn't get in the end zone. Um, the true star of the show, though, for Denver was... Cortland Sutton, who rolled his ankle on Friday. And at that point, we didn't even know if Teddy was going to include a concussion protocol. So I wouldn't have blamed a lot of you for pretty much saying, like, I'm not going to play Sutton this week. It's a not easy matchup, potentially without Teddy, and he's banged up. What's he do? He comes back, seven catches, 120 yards, and a touchdown. Cortland Sutton's a great player. He had a great game. Doesn't have time for your stupid rolled ankles. Get back to treating him as a borderline wide receiver, too, however long Teddy can stay healthy and keep this job. Dwayne, let's start off on the Denver side of things because we're waiting. We are waiting for Javante to take this over. I don't think he's getting any closer. Doing it, though, despite his production starting to really stand out compared to Gordon. Yeah. Um, and it could eventually happen. We're just not seeing it yet. I mean, Melvin Gordon's at 60% of the snaps today, 42% for Javante Williams. If you look at the routes per um, pass play, 53% to Melvin Gordon, 33% to Javante Williams. Rushing attempts. 53% to Melvin Gordon, 47% to Javonta Williams. Short down and distance, 60-40 in favor of Melvin Gordon. Uh, long down and distance, 54-46 um, in favor of Melvin Gordon. Two-minute offense, 74% to 26% for Melvin Gordon. So, look, they're almost splitting their carries evenly every week. They just slightly trust Gordon more in certain situations. So he's out there more on short down and distance. He's out there a little more on long down and distance. He's out there quite a bit more in the two-minute offense. Um, so, But here's the good news. like They're not completely shutting Javante Williams out from those roles. He's getting exposure to those roles, which to me, that's a positive. That, that gives him an opportunity. His foot's in the door in those roles. It's not like sometimes we see with rookies where it's like, no way, like you don't get any of that. And so you don't even get a chance to prove yourself. And that's not the case with Javonta Williams. They're actually using them both in all the roles. Just Gordon gets a little bit more in some of those. So... I think it's something where we could see Williams still take over. And to your point, like Williams looks great. Like he's playing really well. Um, and if you look at his targets per route run for the last three weeks, you know, um, that's been better than, than Melvin Gordon. So targets per route run, the reason I like it is sometimes a player can't control how often they're on the field, right? Coaches want someone else out there for whatever reason. But when you see a high targets per route run, that means that they're designing things up for them whenever they're out there. Um, and so it shows that they still, there's still a, a sign of trust. There's also a sign that the quarterback knows, like, I should get the ball to this player. Like, they're pretty good. Like, they can make good things happen. So for the last three weeks, um, Williams has been stronger than Melvin Gordon in that area. And he had a 21% targets per route run this week versus only 9% for Melvin Gordon. So there's still, there's definitely some silver lining sitting there for Javonta Williams. Wouldn't be surprised at all in the next three to four weeks if you see him really take over the backfield. Um, as far as the rest of the utilization stuff for this game goes, there's not a ton here. Just real quick. Cortland Sutton, you already hit on, but yeah, 
32% target share, uh, 47% of the air yards out there, 91% of the routes, 98% of the routes to Tim Patrick, though. Don't forget about him. 26% targets, um, 24% of the air yards. He didn't come through as much in the box score, but actually he played a good game. Um, Noah Fant with um, Albert um, O out. Saw his routes hit 88%, which is like super, that's like elite. So if we hear that Alberto is going to be out again, like this is a big thing for Noah Fant because this is two weeks in a row where we know um, Alberto got knocked out early last week and we saw Fant's up over the 80% for routes per pass play, which is what we want to see. And then this week, he just didn't quite get the targets. Um, you know, he had he was at 12% of the targets, but he's going to pop, man. If he gets if he gets weeks like this, he's going to have a 25% target share a week. He's going to finish as the tight end one overall, one of these, you know, next three to four weeks, if it if it holds up. We'll see what happens with Alberto once he's back. That's a problem. Uh, on the Steelers' side, you're right. Uh, Smith-Schuster got knocked out, only played 32 per, 38% of the snaps, 32% of the passing plays. So Deontay Johnson was out there doing his normal thing, um, but it was Chase Claypool that really led the team. 23% of the targets, 35% of the air yards. And I think that's kind of where we are now, Ian. Like this, we're better off, and we don't want a player to be hurt. But from a fantasy perspective, when there's only two, we're just better off at this point. So it's like if it's Deontay and Claypool, I think you can play them both. At the moment that it becomes three again, like I had Claypool on my bench on four or five teams today because it started the day as three. But I will start Chase Claypool, you know, next week if I need to, you know, if Juju Smith-Schuster's out. Certainly one of the bigger injuries of the week to monitor. Remember, James Washington was out in this one as well. So everything went right for Claypool. PFF Lily stat, though, is about Cortland Sutton. And this is, again, we recorded this during the early parts of Sunday Night Football because we assume most of you are watching that game. So before Sunday Night Football, only five players in the league have at least 600 air yards. Number one is Devontae Adams. Number two is Mike Evans. Number three, Cortland Sutton. We also have Terry McLaurin and Jamar Chase over that 600 number. I'm sure Tyreek Hill and Stefan Diggs will join that group probably after tonight. But hey, people, like add them to that group. That's still great company for Cortland Sutton to be in. I understand, you know, this didn't mean quite as much when uh, Drew Locke was under center for that half last week. But with Teddy continuing to play some good ball, we should be more than confident about firing up Sutton week in and week out. Saints took down the Washington football team. 33-22, New Orleans covered as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. The over cashed at 43-and-a-half. Jameis Winston, another four-touchdown performance. In typical Jameis fashion, he did it on a 50% completion rate. Uh, awful interception on the first drive of the game. Gorgeous 72-yard touchdown of Deontay Harris on the second drive. So more of the same from the Jameis experience, and I continue to absolutely love it. Big star of the show for the Saints, though, was Alvin Kamara. 16 carries, 71 yards, and a score on the ground. And we finally got some receiving work as well. Five catches, 51 yards, and a score that could have been even bigger, people. Like, I didn't get to watch this whole game. It was kind of on a little bit the other side of the room. But the one thing I did see was Kamara getting open deep. And James put it on him, and Kamara couldn't come down with it. Just off the fingertips, you know. I think some haters might say James could have thrown it six inches shorter. I don't know. I saw it hit the fingertips, and maybe Kamara takes it in the house. So, either way, great game from Kamara, and we started to see some more of that receiving uses that we have been badly missing. Also want to point out that Marquez Callaway, two touchdown day, one of those in 49 yards came on a Hail Mary before the end of the half. So great. We love when guys can go up and make those awesome plays. 
probably not the stickiest thing to be anticipating every single week. And I also just got to give a shout out. I mentioned it before, but Deontay Harris, who unfortunately had to leave, I think shortly after this with a hamstring injury, but Andrew Erickson's DFS call. He was number five on our PFF wide receiver cornerback uh, matchup chart going into last week. And he got that 72 yard score. So Justin Jefferson was number one. Thielen didn't get his targets to quite come through. I think Devontae Adams was top three as well. Always got to be paying attention to those top wide receiver cornerback matchups. Everyone, we reference them multiple times a week on this very podcast. Uh, final note over on the Washington football team. Disappointing game for Terry McLaurin. Couldn't fear the couldn't clear the 50-yard mark, only four catches. Still had 11 targets, and this is now several straight games where we've seen Taylor Heineke, you know, more and more resemble a Ryan Fitzpatrick as quarterback in terms of just feeding his number one option. So I'm not worried about Terry McLaurin. I'm happy that Ricky Seals-Jones managed to have five catches for 41 yards. Almost had like a 50-yarder, man. It was a weird play, like Heineke fumbled the snap, and I think they had like an eligible lineman go downfield. But RSJ got the ball, and man, that dude runs like a receiver when you get him out there so it was good to see McLaurin do his thing and RSJ really step up as a I don't know middle class man's Logan Thomas like RSJ looks good out there and I can't you know speak to how he looks as a blocker compared to Logan and all that but at least in terms of his ability to convert these targets into usable fantasy production I think RSJ is going to be in that upside tight end two category at worst from here on out. Uh, let me see other notes. Uh, Antonio Gibson, 20 carries, 60 yards. You're all mad, but nope. We got in the end zone twice, so he saved that day. Continued to not get too featured as a receiver, but that's just life in the big city these days with Gibson, unfortunately. So um, other injuries, Curtis Samuel, unfortunately, re-aggravated that groin issue and was forced out early. And Taysom Hill, who we don't always say the nicest things about on this podcast, suffered a rather vicious concussion, which we would not wish upon our worst enemies. Hope Taysom gets back to good health here as soon as possible. Dwayne, where do we want to start here? Antonio Gibson's still <laughs> getting his usual stuff, right? Let's start on Washington and just break yeah, my heart real quick. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's nothing to hit there. Look, it's the same. Like it's McKissick's same. getting okay. all the passing work. 100% of the two-minute offense. We'll just leave it alone. We don't we don't want to rub salt in the wound. Um, the biggest takeaway on the Washington side is if you are hurting at tight end, say you're in a deeper format, Ricky Sills-Jones, you hit on him. You know, Ian, 99% of the snaps, 87% of the routes, um, 24% target share. Was second on the team behind only Terry McLaurin. So I think Ricky Sills-Jones is a player that you can pick up that you can trust in your lineups, you know, for a couple of weeks, if that's what you need. We know that we've got Logan Thomas on the IR. So he's at least going to, he's going to at least miss two more games. So Seals Jones, not somebody to go nuts with, but you know, a player that can, he can nicely fill in for you. And, you know, you got another couple of games. He's, he's playing the exact role that Logan Thomas was. Um, and it's a player that we've seen flash in the past, right? Consistency's never been the name, right? There's Ricky dash, there's Ricky, then there's Seals dash Jones. There's not dash consistencies dash Jones. Like, but maybe he can fit it in. You know, we could do it. We can rename him. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, Kamara, last thing on this game, um, and we can move on. 88% of the snaps, 71% of the routes, 76% of the rushing attempts. I mean, like Kamara is getting bell cow usage. Unfortunately, he's in an offense that's, you know, Hit or miss, very much so. But the big scare last week was 0% targets to Kamara. This week he had 29% of the targets. Targets per route run, 32%. So he led the team in targets today as a running back. Had over two yards per route run today, which is a big deal. Um, last one, real quick thing. If you're in a super deep, nasty league that you never want to play in again, but you got to finish this year, 
Divine Ozigbo is really probably the backup to Kamara right now, not Dwayne Washington. Um, he was out there the next most from a snap percentage. Um, he actually got out there on some passing downs, did some things, whereas really Dwayne Washington was just kind of chilling, um, collecting a paycheck. We talked about Alvin Kamara as a sell high on past episodes because of his lack of pass down usage. And again, people, like an example trade that I sent out uh, for with Alvin Kamara last week on a team where I was loaded at RB and a little weak at wide receiver, I tried to swap Kamara for Justin Jefferson. So, Dwayne, would you still try to maybe do that in the right situation, or was this usage enough to kind of change your opinion on how to value Kamara moving forward? Look, I'm just scared of the Saints offense overall. Yeah. Look, let's remember the football team, for all that we thought they were going to be, as yeah. far as yeah, defense, they're terrible. Like, like they are, they may be the worst defense in the entire NFL, which I don't get. I don't understand how it's possible, but it's what's happening right now. And so I don't want to overweight this too much. Now, utilization, you know, speaks, you know, for itself. Like, they're going to target Kamara plenty. But at the end of the day, I do not like the Saints offense, Ian. I'm just now, you're eventually going to get Michael Thomas back. You're, you're going to have Traquan Smith here before very long. Maybe those pieces help out. Um, but right now, man, golly, it's like, I just, I don't know. Like, is this team going to have a hundred yards or are they going to have 350 yards? I'm not quite sure. I don't like that. So if I can, I would sell high on Kamara though. Meaning you don't just give Alvin Kamara away. Like I just gave you his utilization. Even if he's on the worst team in the league, like he's still going to manage 15 to 20 points a week. So don't, you know, just totally, you know, dump on him. But if you can find the right kind of deal, then I would be willing to do it. The Saints are on by next week, so pretty convenient for Kamara to give us this, you know, 122, 132-yard and two-touchdown performance. PFF, the only stat for this one, is for our guy Terry McLaurin, though, because I just want to show you all that it's okay. Don't be worried about Terry moving forward. Since Ryan Fitzpatrick went down in week one, so from week two to week five, pre-Sunday night football, Terry McLaurin has 45 targets. The only guy with more, Devontae Adams with 54 Tyva Cooper Cup, DJ Moore also has 41. I know they're not the most efficient targets in the world, but they're not as bad as we thought they could be, and volume just rules all, especially when you're as good as Terry freaking McLaurin. Eagles defeated the Panthers 21-18 to to mess up my main Moneyline parlay for this week, but oh well. Eagles covered as 2.5-point underdogs. The undercashed at 47.5. So when I you know, bet on the Panthers to win this one. I didn't think that they would have a pump blocked deep in their own territory late in the fourth quarter. But you know what, Dwayne? That's just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. In typical Eagle fashion, though, and this happened last week, they were just rolling up the sheeshes in this one. So Jalen Hurts, he had a go-ahead. He had two rushing touchdowns in this one. Like, it wasn't great as a passer. At one point, he had 20 pass attempts, 12 completions, and 35 passing yards. Like, that's how bad things were kind of going to start this game. He got him moving, though, when it mattered, and he got the W. But it was funny, because at the end, before he had his walk-in touchdown to go ahead and take the lead, Dallas Goddard should have had a walk-in three-yard score in the flat. It hit his hands, and he just dropped it. So, Dallas Goddard should have had a score, didn't have a score. Before the half, Quez Watkins got wide wide open downfield and this wasn't one of those where the announcers show you like hey look how wide open this receiver got why didn't the quarterback look there they showed you how wide open Quez Watkins got and then they showed you Jalen Hurts with his hands on his head like oh my god I can't believe I didn't throw it to that guy so I'm sure not many of you unless you're in those brutal deep leagues that Dwayne said you should try to leave in the future uh, had Quez Watkins anyway but just realize Jalen Hurts one more read away from having a nice little chunk play downfield 
And I think he figured it out as the game went on. To be fair, and, you know, Dwayne's dog agrees with me. Like, to be fair to Jalen Hurts here, like, he was playing again without four starting offensive linemen. And, okay, they made it work a lot easier against the Chiefs. Panthers are a much better defense than what we're seeing in Kansas City. So, I really wouldn't be too concerned about Hurts' performance as a passer. Um, final note, Devontae Smith had a rubber out touchdown from the goal line, nullified on an offensive pass interference. I get it. It's kind of a freedom open. Greg Ward probably could have done a better job not totally selling out to like block the guy but I've also seen worse calls with this so Devontae Smith had a great game as it was seven catches for 77 yards also could have had a short touchdown and you can just tell man like they are focusing in so far on Devontae as a number one so he's given us now back-to-back -back more than fine weeks I think you know he's still just scratching the ceiling on what he could be this year I think those are my main Eagles notes yeah just real quick on the Carolina side we saw the bad version of Sam Darnold, uh, Dwayne. Didn't necessarily think it'd be out here yet. I'm not going to sit here and tell you all I was right because he's been much more good than bad this year. But yeah, when the guy isn't going to vie for the league lead and rushing touchdowns, a little bit harder to get by when you're going to throw three picks and fail to clear 200 yards through the air. So we didn't get that Konami code rushing upside. Just two rushes for Darnold in this one. And yeah, just through the air. I mean, nobody even had 50 yards in this one. If you can't get DJ Moore to 50 receiving yards in a game, you're probably the problem. Problem today, Darnold was the problem. But Dwayne, I'll leave you. I'll lead you into here. It might be. I don't want to say it's useless because it's good new information for the future. But Chuba, we did not see Rodney Smith fight, find his way into the box score. Instead, we saw Chuba with 24 carries and with six targets. How high were those snaps, Dwayne? Because my goodness, this looks great on paper. Yeah, man, he did really well. So I mean, you're, it's like you said, we'll probably see McCaffrey back, but. 65% um, of the snaps, 86% of the rushing attempts, but no, to your point, 88% of the two-minute offense. We didn't see that the previous week. So, you know, that's a step forward for him, whereas you had Rodney Smith out there for only 31% of the long down and distance, 13% of the two-minute offense. Um, so really everything else went to, you know, to Chuba. So yeah, I think that's a positive thing for him. The only other couple of quick notes on here, as soon as we get kind of pump up Kenneth Gainwell last week on the uh, on the podcast, you know, for waiver wire, of course, they give Miles Sanders more work this week. Didn't necessarily show up in the box score, but it is an encouraging thing for Sanders. He played 75 percent of the snaps. That's the best he's had this season. 67 percent of the routes. So that's that's a good number. Um, and he was actually targeted. He was not good on them. I, I don't even know. Like, I have to pull up the box score here, Ian. But I want to say it was, at one point, it was like five catches for six yards, <laughs> something like that. Five catches, uh, six yards, five targets. That's like a Jordan Howard <laughs> rushing line. That's Miles Sanders <laughs> receiving total. So maybe that's why Miles Sanders doesn't normally get that many targets. But he handled 52% of the rushing attempts. Um, well, 38% went to Jalen Hurts, right? Which is why we love Jalen Hurts. And he can pull 25 points out of his hat like a, you know, like anything, man. Rabbit out of the hat. Or as Jason Witten would say, rabbit out of the head. <laughs> you, know, you can pull a rabbit out of the head, 25 points at any moment. So yeah, an increased role for Sanders today. I think that's positive. And he even picked up 40% of the two-minute offense. That had all belonged to Kenneth Gainwell up until now. So maybe it was a case of like what you like to call the squeaky will, Ian. I think there might have been a squeaky will all Attempt. week at Eagles practice. <laughs> the problem is he didn't really pay off. So, you know, don't just go cutting Kenneth Gainwell just yet. Um, this is a team that I still think we could see Gainwell get more and more involved. Miles Sanders not doing much with the touches. But that's pretty much it for this team, um, for this game. Um, I would say I know some of you are big Tommy Tremble Tommy Trembles. You know, you, you folks love Tommy Tremble. I, I get it in my DMs all the time. I, and look, I love him. 
He's a great player. Uh, you know, as far as like athletic profile, you know, raw athletic score has all these things. Here's the problem, folks. 37% of the routes. It's just not enough yet. Yes, he did catch a touchdown standing all by himself in the end zone. Um, he almost didn't know what to do after he caught it. It's like, do I run? Do I turn around and face the stands? What do I do? I don't know what to do. So uh, just, just kind of hold on the Tommy Trimble thing. It's not quite happening yet. Um, and even if it does, like he's going to be like the fourth or fifth option in the Panthers offense. It's Terrence Marshall all over again, man. It's nothing about Tommy Trumbull. It's just that DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey, even Robbie Anderson, and probably like what happened today, Ian Thomas, who also plays tight end, are going to work ahead of this guy. So Dynasty yes. or something like that, if you want to bet on the talent long term, that's fine. No, we are not expecting Tommy Trumbull to carve out a usable fantasy role in the year 2021. PFF Lowy stat is in honor of Jalen Hurts racking up yet another QB1 finish. Last year, four starts, QB11 overall, QB1, QB12, QB20 and three quarters in that messed up Nate Sudfeld game that we'll just keep saying his name on every single podcast throughout this year, Dwayne. I hope uh, the Sudfeld family are enjoying uh, this edition of the PFF Fantasy Podcast. And then in 2021, Five games this year, QB5 overall, QB10, QB10, QB4, and pre-Sunday night football, QB6. No physical way for Jalen Hurts to not chalk up yet another QB12 finish. As we said last week, you need to get this guy in your weekly top five rankings, regardless of the matchup. The rushing upside on hand is just too much. Again, he wasn't good as a passer today, everyone. doesn't matter when you can legit run for two rushing touchdowns each and every week. Titans massacred pretty much the Jaguars 37 to 19 this was the typical Derrick Henry game uh, Titans did cover by four points they were four point favorites I should say in the over hit at 49 but yes Derrick Henry 29 carries 130 yards three touchdowns it's just automatic his long run was only 15 yards credit to him for just consistently pounding away at this Jaguars front and they just really didn't have an answer and the Titans didn't really need to try much else Ryan Tannehill only had 22 attempts they were trying to seemingly feature AJ Brown a little bit as they should he's AJ freaking Brown he only caught three of six targets for 38 yards though oh man he was so close to scoring on one of them but he got stuffed at the one yard line of course Derrick Henry was fine to take it in afterwards so nobody else really stood out uh, in the receiving room Marcus Johnson popped off for 52 yards I've enjoyed watching him with the Colts over the years but yeah other than AJ Brown you're not touching anyone in this offense you might have some loaded teams where maybe I always say like just don't even send me a single star sick question with AJ Brown might be at a point where, okay, you, some of you in your eight-team leagues that have a bunch of really good receivers, I can entertain the notion here moving forward. But, guys, it's still A.J. Brown. This was not a game where we saw something we didn't want to see. It was Ryan Tannehill having 22 pass attempts. Like, this happens to the Vikings receivers sometimes. This happens to the Browns receivers sometimes. You just can't do that much when your quarterback isn't throwing the ball. So, you know, relax on A.J. Brown. If you want to go trade trade for him from a panicky manager, I would not be against doing that. Um, some cool notes I'd notice here. LaVisca Chenault, uh, usage terrible, which, Dwayne, I'm sure you have plenty on that. But I will say that 58-yard catch was awesome. He must have broke three or four tackles along the way. Continued to see the sort of breaking tackle ability that made us fall in love with Visca in the first place. Unfortunately, Urban Meyer, you know, too busy working or partying or whatever the hell he was doing in 2020 before getting to the Jaguars and then doing whatever the hell he's doing now. But how about James RB1, son? We might be back. We're getting pretty close, everyone. 18 carries, 149 rush yards, and a score on the ground. 
also chipped in one reception. Now, it's not totally his job. Carlos Hyde, for whatever reason, got the goal line carry at a pivotal part of the game, and he got stuffed. But at least we saw that 18-5 to carry discrepancy between Robinson and Hyde. And Dwayne, like, we have been, and again, it's... I don't want to say like we've always been out on James Robinson. Once you remove the freaking first round pass catching running back, it's a lot easier to be in on the guy. And since then, we've made the point again and again, like Carlos Hyde is not your worst case scenario backup running back. He doesn't catch passes and he's not like taking away any sort of stranglehold of this work. Do you think with the usage we're seeing from Robinson that we can more and more inch him back towards that top 12 weekly range? Yeah, I think he belongs. I think he's a high-end RB2, you know, the rest of the way. But he's definitely going to have his RB1 weeks. They're just, you know, it's the timing of some of these things when they get Hyde in there. Like today, you know, with that last play, you know, giving it to Hyde and he lost like 25 yards. Um, yeah, it's it's going to still be kind of annoying. But, yes, I think he's right there on the verge, you know. Um, I mean, he had 68% of the snaps today, 58% of the routes 64% of the rushing attempts. He was out there for 60% of the short down and distance, 60% of the long down and distance, and he had 100% of the two-minute offense. So, like, that's really good. You know, I mean, that's that's borderline RB1 right there. And I think at this point, you just got to roll with him. And a lot of folks are starting him as an RB2. So, I mean, if you're starting James Robinson as an RB2, I think you're pretty happy. Trevor Lawrence, again today, was involved in the rushing game, handled 14% of the design rushing plays. Um, from a standpoint of dropping back and then scrambling, he was at 7%, which is also a pretty good number. So um, Lawrence, you know, if you're in a flex, super flex league, you know, I think, you know, you're going to have your days coming where you're going to feel okay about him as your QB2. You're not going to love it, but I think you're going to be okay. Sneaky guy on the Jaguars, you know, that got traded to the Jags just a couple of weeks ago is Dan Arnold. Um, man, he's sneaking up there, Ian, 73% of the snaps, 74%, you know, of the of the routes. Um, he was out there. He had 25% of the targets, which was number tied on first on the t- This is crazy. Mm-hmm. Tied for first on the team along with Jamal Agnew. <sighs> Dan Arnold and Jamal Agnew leading the Jaguars <laughs> receiving core. Um, but 24% of the air yards, average two yards per route run as a tight end. So Dan Arnold, if you're playing in a tight end premium league, is a player that you want to be scooping up off the waiver wire for cheap um, before you know he, he actually performs better than what his utilization showed today, which, you know, we've talked about so many times on here, and that crap hits. It works. Um, LaVisca Chenault, you hit on it. Man, only 65% of the routes. Like, come on, give us 75%. Give us 80%. 65%. It's just, it's 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 too, it's too far, Ian. It's too far. It's just too much. Um, you know, he was only targeted 8% of the time, 11% targets per route run. You do start to wonder with Chenault because routes, you know, targets per route run, that's kind of how you can decipher like, okay, great. Maybe the coaches aren't putting them out there enough, but at least when they're out there, does the quarterback want to look for him a lot? And that's just never been the case for Chenault. We've, we saw it last week, you know, so we kind of got excited, you know, about it, but here we are back at an 11%. So I'm really worried about Chenault. Um, I, I, I don't see that he has anywhere to go, but up, you know, I mean, but at the same time, I don't know what up means for him right now. On the Titans side, um, A.J. Brown, 89% of the routes per pass play. So he's not quite at 100% yet, but, you know, he's he's getting closer. Expect to see that number bump up over 90. He still led the team in targets, 26% of the, 26% of the targets. Uh, carried 27% of the air yards today. So he's going to be fine. He's just got to get going again. Uh, we kind of thought Anthony Ferkser might be a thing. Nope, just kidding. Complete freaking tight end by committee. 
uh, Nicole Pruitt, Jeff Swaim, you know, you name some other random guy, they're getting snaps right now in the Titans. So if Anthony Ferkser is on your team in a deep league, you can dump his ass right now and go pick up Dan Arnold. Oh, man, July was such a sweeter time. We could have good conversations about <laughs> Anthony Ferkser. And, hey, man, look, LaVisca, think about it. If Marvin Jones gets hurt and, like, James Robinson gets hurt and uh, <laughs> the rest of the team gets hurt, then maybe he'll get targets. No, nah, I, I hear you, man. And the hype always seemed a little extreme. I was down to, like, this is one of those things. where It was similar to, like, to Brandon Ayuk. I wasn't against treating Visca as the number one in Jacksonville, but the extent and the disparity that people were kind of putting between him and the rest of the guys was where I was usually off the ship there. So Yeah, the, the, the Dynasty committee wins on these things. Like, the Dynasty community, yeah. look, which I get, and there are things to be taken from the Dynasty you know, thought process and that we should be using them for season long. But sometimes things get, and typically it's a situation like this where it's like, oh, well, Marvin Jones is ancient. He's a fossil. Like it has to be LaVisca Chanel, you know? Um, so you, it's just, it's a note, like to your point, like something just to think about, just remember, you know, doesn't mean that we won't go through the same thing again <laughs> next summer. I promise that we will, because there'll be another situation that's similar, but you got all the player also has to hit certain metrics. They need to hit certain data points. Like, and for me, Chenault was just never there with Chark and Jones in the picture. Now, I, I'm more hopeful now with it just being Jones and with it just being hopefully two of them, but we'll have to see another week. I don't think you can trust them in your lineups just yet. Yeah, I was with you on the uh, Rodgers, Devontae, and Chase was my main, you know, GPP mini stack as well. And I thought, oh, let's get off the LaVisca chalk and just go to Marvin Jones. Like, that'll make that'll make sense, right? The answer, nice to, uh, answer to which Jaguars wide receiver to roster was no, everyone. So we will uh, watch the film and get better. PFF Lily stack for this one. It, I think, tells the two stories that we have with James Robinson. So in 14 games in 2020, James Robinson had 289 touches, 1,414 yards, and 10 touchdowns. His 14-game base this year, 227 touches. That's down from 289. 1,330 yards and 11 touchdowns, though. Robinson has come really close to putting up the same production so far. He's doing it on a shit ton fewer touches. Now, is that efficiency going to last all year? Probably not. That's why we're saying more of an upside two upside RB2 as opposed to the, you know, middling RB1 that he was for most of last year. Still, he's a great player. No one ever said he wasn't a great player. But guess what? Almost every running back in the league is a great player. That's why we judge them on their volume. The Vikings took down the Lions 19 to 17 in an entertaining kind of, I mean, at least the M was cool, NFC North affair. Detroit covered as 10 point dogs as they've done seemingly all year, under hit at 49 and a half. Um, didn't get my full eyes on this one, so apologies if I missed, you know, any better ball touchdowns or drops or anything like that. But what I did see, at least a lot early on, was Justin Jefferson making mincemeat out of just about everyone, man. Eight targets, caught seven of them for 124 yards. It's impossible to guard the man. The only thing that holds back Jefferson is his own team's targets. It's basically the same thing with him and A.J. Brown and any of these other just alpha number one wide receivers that you look at in these run-first units. So, yeah, Jefferson, the only reason why he wasn't in the top three, top five receivers before this year going into redraft was just because of the volume factor. But, man, he's right there. He's sixth, he's seventh. And if you want to make an exception, you're still going to have Justin Jefferson on your team and feel pretty good about it. Also, we had Dalvin Cook ruled out and not ideal. We would have wished he played and been healthy, but if it means he's going to be healthy down the road, then that should be a net positive. And if you had Alexander Madison on your team, I hope for the love of God that you started him because, again, people, 
they play the same role. When Cook's out, they just put Madison in there. And you know what? They even kind of look alike sometimes with the dreads flowing out the back of their helmets. So we got Zach Ertz and Dallas, Daughter, uh, Dallas Goddard, Cook and Madison. Uh, I think Mike Williams and Jared Cook's becoming a tough one as well because 81, 87, and they're both just huge. So many teammates that we have uh, problems with identifying around the league. I don't know, guys. They're all in like a special sweatband for us. I'm not asking for much. But anyway, Madison, 113 yards rushing, 40 yards and a score through the air. Uh, wouldn't be shocked if he is firmly in the group's top five running backs when the week is said and done. On the uh, yeah, and also Adam Thielen disappointed in this one, which we kind of saw coming. Man, he can't score a touchdown every single week. Unfortunately, he didn't even have a catch until the you know I didn't think got a target until about the halfway point of the third quarter. Uh, someone did tell me he had like a 30-yard bubble screen get wiped out by a hold. So I guess they were trying to evolve him before, but ultimately Jefferson really is the one A to Thielen's one B, despite what some of those early season touchdown totals might have told you on the Lions side of thing TJ Hawkinson just three targets I wouldn't worry too much I know he had to do a lot to even play in this game to begin with so I wouldn't be shocked that they just didn't want to put a ton of receiving work on his plate and then we'll just note that DeAndre Swift while he continued to split the work did find his way in for a late touchdown that the Lions went for two took the brief lead and then Kirk Cousins got them down in field goal range and ultimately got the win so Dwayne let's start things off with Swift and Williams because one week it's the Lions saying oh Swift's really going to start to get featured more. The next week, it's them saying it's going to be a hot hand approach. I think what the utilization tells us all season, Dwayne, is that it's going to be a back and forth thing and that DeAndre Swift is getting so much receiving work that it doesn't really matter. Yeah, what the utilization tells us is that <clears throat> when the lines are behind, which is all the time, he's the dude. So, I mean, it's just a, it's a good situation for Swift because the Lions suck. So you're going to have 88% of the long down and distance, which is what he took today, 88%, 95% of the two-minute offense. And so when those things happen, when you're trailing basically from the very beginning of the game, um, your snaps are going to really, you know, they're going to profit from that. So you saw, you know, you saw Swift at 74% today, 32% for Jamal Williams, even though their rushing attempts were, again, close, 46% for DeAndre Swift. And 54% for Jamal Williams. Um, but yeah, man, he's he's in that old Alvin Kamara. Like, I'm not saying he's Alvin Kamara. You don't need to send me a picture of him running into a linebacker, running a route, and showing me that he's not Alvin Kamara. I don't care. Like, his utilization is there, and he gets enough passes. And maybe he sucks. I don't even know. But it doesn't matter to me, because he keeps scoring fantasy points, and he's getting used, he's getting used a lot in the areas that drive fantasy points. So if you think about it, the two-minute offense, 20% historically over the last five years, 20% of a running back's targets come in the two-minute offense. He has all that. 20% of a running back's targets, 21%, come in long down and distance. He pretty much owns all of that work. And then he gets half of the early down work too, which is where the other 50% of running back targets come from. So what does that mean? That means he gets 70% of the Lions running back targets and they're behind all the time and they have no one else to throw it to. So it's exacerbated because they don't want to throw to their receivers. So it works out great for DeAndre Swift. That's really all you need to know about him um, because I don't see that changing, Ian. You know, eventually we're going to get some game script where the Lions lead and they win. It's probably going to be a bad day for DeAndre Swift, but we know that it's coming. There's just not going to be that many of them. Um, TJ Hawkinson, I think you you hit it. You did a good job with it. Like, don't freak out, folks. Look, he's still over the 80% route number. Um, he he played hurt this week. You know, he wasn't able to practice till the end of the week. I say this is a buy low opportunity on TJ Hawkinson. I mean, you tell me who else are the Lions going to throw it to once he's healthy? 
Like, it's him and DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams. That's the whole offense right now. I don't really think that's going to change. Um, do the Lions suck? Yeah, but, you know, they've played, you know, they've, this is bad. They've played better than an 0-5 record, right? I know 0-5 okay. is bad, but, I mean, they've kept things pretty close. They've kept it respectable. Um, you know, so I, I'm okay with still, you know, being high on TJ Hawkinson. I think we need to. And to your point, Justin Jefferson just really has started to separate himself from Adam Thielen. I mean, 25% of the target share versus only 13% for Thielen. Thielen's still going to have his days. It's still going to, he's still going to, he's still going to give us a wide receiver two, wide receiver three production, but you can't be in these games where the Vikings are ahead the whole time. Like those games, really, you can probably only support one receiver and then you're going to get whoever the starting running back is for the Vikings. That's going to be the two players that you really want to be rostering that week. Um, and we've seen this in the past with the Vikings. Once they get ahead, like they are very willing just to be like, just look, dude, Justin Jefferson was on the, he was on the path for a freaking huge day. I mean, he had, how much of that did he have in the first quarter? He That's what probably, I'm saying. It, it happened like all immediately. And I was almost <laughs> surprised when I look at the box score that I wasn't more. Yeah. He probably got 80% of what you talked about in the first quarter. And then they let their foot off the gas because that's that's the Mike Zimmer effect, right? That's the defensive coordinator, former defensive coordinator, now the head coach. We see this a lot. I'm not saying it's every one. We don't see it with Brandon Staley, but we do see it with a lot of the tra- the traditional guys like Vic Fangio. Um, you know, Mike Zimmer's been doing it for a long time. You know, we even see it with John Harbaugh, which he was special teams. So um, just, yeah, with Justin Jefferson, look, you're going to be fine. Adam Thielen, you're just going to get some of these stinkers. PFF lowly stat is for Alexander Madison. We now have five solid examples of him working without Dalvin Cook. Four starts and another game last year where Dalvin was out after, I think, like 30% of the offensive snaps or so. In those games, he has had 32 touches. 32. 11 in a game that got away from them. We saw Amir Abdullah come in a lot more. 23 and then 24. Good for an average of 24.4 touches per game. Dwayne, that'll work. Where do you have him ranked this week once Dalvin Cook got ruled out? I think I put him fifth or sixth. Yeah, I had him in the top eight. You know, um, yeah, it's when that happens, especially in this matchup with the Lions, like I was tempted to just be like RB1, <laughs> you know, I mean, but yeah, I think you, you hit all the right notes with that. Like I think we've seen now enough. And especially now, like, you don't have Mike Boone to deal with. Like, that was kind of the third factor last year. And with that gone, it's really just Madison and Abdullah when you have, you know, Dalvin Cook out. And, look, Dalvin Cook, like, I know we hated that he missed the Lions game, you know, but it is, to your point earlier, it's like, let's just get him healthy. You know, we know Dalvin Cook's awesome. But, like, look, if he can barely make make it through practice, like, you don't want him to re-injure his, you know, if he keeps re-injuring it, it eventually, like, it could cost him multiple weeks. Buccaneers smashed the Dolphins. 45-17, to 17, covered easily as 11-point favorites, over cashed at 48. Uh, Mike Evans, great game. Six catches, 113 yards, two scores. Could have had an even more. Like, Brady threw him a bomb on one play. Probably would have been good for 40. Evans adjusted to it because he's a, so freaking good at his job and such a good player and ended up bouncing off his hands. So I think a lesser player probably doesn't get that target, probably doesn't adjust to it as well. But it's Mike Evans. We have high standards. So I uh, would also note that on the Dolphins' side of the ball, 
Jacoby's only interception went right off Jalen Waddle's hand, so wouldn't blame him for that. And Preston Williams dropped a touchdown that, you know, would have been a great catch, but hits you in the hands, you're in the end zone. That's a sheesh from me. And credit to Jacoby Brissett in this one. I mean, he suffered a hamstring injury in the first quarter. We had to get carted to the locker room, get carted back to the field. He was hobbling all over the place. And he's a guy that holds the ball a lot and needs to use his legs to move around. Couldn't do that in this one. Didn't register a rush attempt and was okay, man. Only took three sacks. You know, managed to throw for 275 yards and a pair of touchdowns. Like, I'm just surprised that they were even somewhat watchable throughout this. I wouldn't have blamed them for rolling over and pretty much getting smashed i know the scoreboard still looks bad but i will give that about uh you know Brissett. we always say on here Dwayne, jacoby Brissett, very gritty and he continued to prove that one today playing through the pain uh playing through the pain big note from miami uh my favorite bet i won today was malcolm brown under rushing yards because he didn't even have a rush attempt so that one was not uh too hard to sweat they only ran the ball nine total times and we see this again and again against the buccaneers um i believe um Underdog fantasies, Hayden Winks put a good chart out showing that against the Buccaneers, I think the Cowboys were the other team. Teams are just passing well above the neutral rate that we would expect. So, yeah, you know, NFL teams are smart. We know not to play running backs against the Buccaneers. You think other teams look at that front seven and say, hey, let's run the ball 20 times up the middle? Of course not. So what happened? Did Jalen Waddle, did Preston Williams, did all these other guys ball out against the Fantasy's single worst defense in PPR points per game allowed to wide receivers. No, Miles Miles Gaskin caught 10 passes for 75 yards and a pair of touchdowns. He has made some great passes in the past. I just think like they kind of caught Tampa Bay off guard here. It was one dump into the flat or wheel route after another, and Tampa had no answer. So credit to Gaskin. Also wouldn't necessarily expect this to be an every week occurrence. Quickly on the Buccaneers, Leonard Fournette, man, it sucks that he didn't exactly fulfill huge expectations, although I guess he still finished with 110 total yards and a score. He only had 12 rush attempts, and the fact he was able to do all that with him, man, he looked impressive out there. And, you know, we've all had our jokes about Leonard Fournette over the years, but I think if you just remove the fact that he used to be this number four overall pick, such a hype recruit coming out of Penn, uh, LSU and then even going in to college, like, if you just look at him as the player he is now, I think think you'll see an above average NFL running back by most standards so credit to Lenny for again just looking awfully spry out there and making a lot of dudes miss um Antonio Brown seven catches 142 yards and two scores man we were watching this game PFF offices and I'm there with a uh, Tampa Bay Trey Trevor uh, si- uh, Siakam who worked with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for a long time and he's obviously a huge fan and we saw Antonio Brown score his uh, how long was it 62 yard touchdown where he basically got a crosser and then ran away from Xavier Howard Dwayne like he looked like 2017 2018 AB I have not seen him look that fast in the open field with the ball in his hand in years he's still been great coming down with some tough catches his route running of course is pristine you know he had some great he called himself Tony Toe Taps for a reason he, he did all that but man like seeing that explosiveness out of him in this one was truly uh, surprising to me. And Chris Goblin was the odd man out, but when Tom Brady throws for five touchdowns and 411 yards, the odd man out still had seven catches for 70 yards. So this Tampa Bay offense is just absolutely loaded. And finally, a hat tip to Mr. Antonio Brown, fastest player in NFL history to reach 900 receptions, beating Marvin Harrison by, I believe, six games. So, Dwayne. Miles Gaskin, it's a Fugazi. We're not, we're not buying this shit again. We're not back in. We can't do it.
We don't look. Hopefully, the Dolphins do understand that Miles Gaskin by far is their best running back. Like I think it's pretty clear to everyone, except for the Dolphins staff. So like, let's hope that works. I mean, if you look at Gaskin's grades, um, an eighty-eight point seven today, Pro Football Focus grade as a receiver, an eighty-four point six in the pass blocking, rushing sixty-four point seven. But look, what do we care about rushing? <laughs> So 69% of the snaps, 53% of the routes, 71% of the rushing attempts, which you which you mentioned there were not a ton, 100% of the short down distance, 63% of the long down distance, and 60% of the two-minute offense. So like that's like that's enough. Like if, if he can be out there between 50 and 70% of the routes per pass play, like that's really Gaskin's sweet spot. He handled 25% of the targets today. He was targeted 40% of the time that he was in a route. So, like, he was their primary option in the passing game today, and it wasn't really close. The next closest was 18% with Jalen Waddell. Then you had Mike Gusecki and Preston Williams both at 15%. We had a Preston Williams siding. I love Preston Williams. I just, you, you, like, they have so many receivers there now, but now they have no one because Devonta Parker he, was out he today. He flashed a little bit too, man. Like, he actually looked, like, extra good out there. The, the box and, scores showed better for uh, him and, when and, he watched. And he's looked good in the past. So, like, Williams is a player that, like, you know, he just got a little buried on the depth chart, you know, so We'll just we'll keep an eye on him. It's really more of a deep league kind of thing. You know, we'll have to see what's going on with Parker. You'll get Fuller back here in a few weeks. You know, he's out with a broken finger. So it's nothing to get super excited about. But it's it's exciting for the player because he's he's flashed before. Um, as far as the Bucks go, what was nice about Fournette today, and I don't know that this will last long-term, Ian, but he kept 100% of the two-minute offense, which had been Giovanni Bernard's before Bernard had been knocked out with the MCL injury. It could have just been partially bringing Gio back slowly. Gio is actually pretty good at that role, so I would be I would be surprised if Gio didn't eventually get that back. But if he doesn't, that's huge for Fournette. I mean, the other thing is, like, Ronald Jones, man, like 14% of the snaps. I mean, basically he gets a fifth of the, of the rushing attempts every week. That's really all you get from Ronald Jones anymore. Um, so... That's a good thing for Fournette. So he's at least going to get half the rushing attempts. If he can hang on to, say, half of the passing down work that he, you know, didn't have previously before Gio got, you know, injured, like that's really big for Fournette. That would make him an every week RB2. But if all of that work does start to go back to Bernard, then you just have these games where you don't know what's going to happen. And if all of a sudden the Bucks do trail, typically the Bucks are going to lead, so you're going to be okay. Um, but it can cause a problem for you. Um, the last thing is Cameron Brait. Like, as soon as we kind of try to trust him, we're like, oh, you know, hey, streaming option, Cameron Brait. Just kidding. You know, you're only going to run around 40% of the time. You're going to get target. Your target share today, Cameron Brait, in Fantasyland is going to be 2%. How about that? <laughs> How about you just suck it? OJ Howard was out there 59% of the snaps. Um, you know, and he saw 5% of the targets. So it's not like it's really going anywhere else. Like they just didn't throw the tight ends today, but it was more of a rotation than what we thought. Um, so they kind of threw us a little bit of a knuckleball on the Cameron Brait thing today. With uh, Fournette, it's not a one-for-one one comp, definitely different player types, but in terms of just their role, assuming Geo does get the two-minute stuff back, which I think is fair, Fournette's almost like Jonathan Taylor, but in a much better offense if we look at a three-back committee, but... Fournette is the much he's the clear-cut leader on early downs. He still does get targets from time to time. Rojo, just like Marlon Mack, is not a factor. And if Gio or Naeem Hines leave the picture, then we're looking at a legit RB1. Yeah, I think that's actually that's a great way to look at it. Um, I'll, that'll keep him higher in my rankings now, now that I'm thinking <laughs> about it that way, Ian. <laughs> well, hopefully it doesn't come back to bite us. PFF Lily matchup stat. I didn't come up with this originally, and I also don't remember who to credit, so I guess I'm just a jag-off here. But Brady, regular and postseason passing touchdowns in his 20s 
he has 167. In his 40s, he's up to 160 people. This man is seven touchdowns away from having as many touchdowns in his 40s. When he's, he's what, 44? So, like, it's not even like the, over the course of a much longer year than he did throughout his entire 20s. So, Tom Brady, you know, it's we just need to keep in mind sometimes, like, when this 44-year-old dude is throwing five touchdowns over 400 yards against probably the single best duo of cornerbacks in the National Football League. I mean, the dude is called and is the GOAT for a reason. Last 1 o'clock game, Patriots defeated the Texans 25-22. Houston covered as 8-point underdogs. The over hit at 39.5. So, biggest mistake I made in my weekly quarterback predictions article, I tried to kind of guess the following week's storyline earlier in the week, was I said Davis Mills was most likely to see ghosts in this one. Hey, we saw him look absolutely abysmal against the Bills, going and facing Bill Belichick. You know, I checked the track record of rookie quarterbacks. Only Deshaun Watson had any semblance of success. Now, only Deshaun Watson and Davis Mills had success against Bill Belichick. So maybe it's something in the water with these Houston rookie quarterbacks. I don't know exactly. But either way, credit to Davis Mills. 312 yards and three scores. Got one to Chris Moore. Got one to Chris Conley. And also got one to Austin Eclair, I think. I'm guessing on that first name. I sure as hell know he didn't get one to Brandon Cooks, who unfortunately had just three catches for 23 yards and five targets. It sucks, people, if you play Cooks in this one. This is a positive for the long run, though, like because the concern was that we couldn't use Cooks because this offense was going to be absolutely atrocious until Tyrod Taylor comes back, and even then, who knows? So the fact that Mills at least has this in his range of outcomes, albeit... I'm guessing this is a little bit fluky. Might very well be his best game of the year. It is good for Cook. So we know we're not able to lock him up as a top 12, top 15 receiver that he actually was functioning as for the first month of the year. But I still think even with Tyrod Taylor's absence, you're going to be hard-pressed to rank, you know, 30, 35 guys ahead of Cooks each and every week. Couple sheeshes in this one. Damian Harris scored one goal line touchdown and he scored another one, but no, he didn't. He actually fumbled just short of the goal line. Houston managed to recover, wasn't able to get that one. And then he was in and out of the lineup with a chest injury for the rest of the afternoon. So Harris was someone that we both got off a little bit as last week progressed, Dwayne, because the Patriots were down four freaking starting offensive linemen and ended up being, you know, if you faded him, a blessing in disguise that he had that injury to deal with. So obviously, hope Damian's okay, but yeah, only 14 of the team's 30 rush attempts in this one we also saw Ramondre Stevenson get plenty involved although not too successfully um Jacoby Myers quest to get that first touchdown since uh, December of 2018 continues apparently he got tackled at the one yard line on a screen in this one so getting closer unfortunately not quite in there yet Hunter Henry shout out he has really emerged as the tight end to invest in in New England six catches 75 yards and a score in this one Final note I have is that, yeah, Chris Moore, who had five catches for 109 yards and a touchdown on the Texans, actually should have had another touchdown. He dropped an easy one, got bailed out on defensive hold. So it reminds me of like a Khalif Raymond last week, had two touchdowns, like should have had three. Like these random auxiliary receivers almost going off just cracks me up sometimes, Dwayne. But for any of you out there that was that were feeling frisky through uh, Chris Moore and through the starting lineup this week, kudos to you, and I'm sorry you didn't get that second score. So, Dwayne, feel free to go wherever in this one. Um, we don't need to spend too much time on it, I would imagine. Yeah, um, the big thing, you know, on the Patriots side, Hunter Henry, we've seen his role, you know, kind of stabilize over the last couple of weeks. He did leave the te- lead the team in targets today. 27% target share, um, 3.26 yards per route run, 35% targets per route run. Um, and Johnu Smith, man, like, is, I don't even, like, 
is this possible? You know, he played 63% of the snaps, but he was only on a route for 18% of the Patriots' dropback. So Jonu Smith, like, blocker? Is that what this is now? Jonu Smith blocking tight end? Um, anyway, so, yeah, the thing with Hunter Henry's nice. Um, Brandon Bolden is James White. I, he, I don't know what else to say. Like, he has the role. You know, he was out there 100% of the two-minute offense again, over half of the long down and distance. Um, 22% targets per route run, 13% target share. So Brandon Bolden, if you're absolutely, you're just hurting, you're in a deep league, it's got to be PPR, cannot be standard. PPR, you know, and you're just looking for eight points to get you through a bye week. Brandon Bolden might be your guy. Ramondre Stevenson did play more today. You had J.J. Taylor inactive. 34%. Here, here are the Patriots snaps. 38% to Brandon Bolden. 34% to Ramondre Stevenson. 33% to Damian Harris. Now, Damian Harris did deal with an injury. He had, he handled 45% of the rushing attempts. But Harris was playing at the end of the game, but we saw more Stevenson as the game went on. He handled 39% of the rushing attempts. Um, as far as the Texans, the only thing I'll say about Brandon Cooks, 21% of the target share, so he was um, still tied for second or for first on the team along with you know, the alpha Chris Moore. Um, but only 50% of his passes were catchable today so you know it's not necessarily on brandon cooks so he and davis mills obviously they've still got a little bit that they need to iron out so while mills had a good game uh wasn't as good for cooks and look the patriots are not going to let your best weapon beat them so you know they came into this game saying look what do we got to do to make sure brandon cooks doesn't beat us and the the idea they came up with was we'll 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 let chris moore try and beat us which he (laughs) almost did um so um Kudos to you, Chris Moore, for stepping up, like you said, and doing what you did. But don't go pick him up on your waiver wire, folks. Do not go pick up Chris Moore. And yeah, this PFF Lily matchup stat is going to be a little bit hateful towards Mac Jones. But I just want to kind of put what he's done this year in a little bit of context. He loses week one by a point to Tua and the Dolphins, who we know aren't all that good. Damon Harris fumble aside, they were in that game, but they scored 16 points. Okay, great. They beat the Jets in week two. Zach Wilson and company, they scored 25 points. Then they scored 13 points in a pretty convincing loss to the Saints. Then they score 17 points and another close loss to the Buccaneers. And now, okay, they beat the Texans. But Mac Jones has really got by not doing hardly anything in this offense. And the fact that they really have, over the last few weeks, let him throw the ball a lot more. And we still haven't seen any sort of upside is concerning, particularly downfield. This year, on passes thrown at least 20 yards downfield, Mac Jones is 4 for 19. Zero touchdowns, two picks. Only Jared Goff grades out worse among 31 qualified QBs. Nobody averages fewer yards per attempt than Mac Jones is 5.1 yards per attempt. So, hey, I'm a sucker for these off-script, the Zach Wilsons of the world that can, you know, have 20 straight shitty plays, but they have the one awesome play that you can watch in all 22 and see that go downfield. I know it's way more valuable to have someone that, you know, can make the right read and pick up the easy six yards and keep the chains moving that, you know, another guy like wouldn't even think to do. So I'm not out on Mac Jones at all. I'm just saying don't crown him because he played Tom Brady pretty close in one Sunday night game. We really haven't seen a ton of on-field evidence that Mac Jones at least has a sort of upside in fans land but we should be getting that excited yet now let's take a quick break and give a shout out to our sponsors because the pff fantasy football podcast is sponsored by western southern financial group while you focus on your roster moves western southern helps you advance your money moves buying buying your first home plan to start a family wondering how to make your money grow western southern's playbook of life insurance investment and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day so team up to identify your needs and address your goals with a game plan built just for you get started at westernsouthern.com pff 
Also, it's football season, baby. You know what that means? It means we're going for two here with the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. Listen through hairs has never been easier, and it's time for you to join the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by using code PFF at manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping. It's three and out the window with all the trimmers. Now go tame that Wildcat offense. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. All right, people, we are down to our final four afternoon games. Cowboys really knocked the Giants around 44 to 20, covered as nine and a half point favorites. The over cashed at 53. Not exactly the full strength Giants we were hoping to see, though. Daniel Jones suffered a concussion after getting up awfully wobbly, tried to score a touchdown on a little bootleg. Guy's head rammed to the turf. We hope Jones is feeling better. And in absolutely tragic news, Saquon Barkley, Suffered a lower sprained ankle. It was the size of a balloon. I'm sure you've seen the picture on Twitter. If you're a true fantasy diehard or at least a Saquon stand, such as myself and Dwayne. And this just sucks. We got some words from Rap Sheet afterwards. And this is from Ian Rapport himself. Saquon Barkley is believed to have suffered a low ankle sprain. Sources say an injury that likely knocks him out next week. He'll have more tests, but he's best characterized as week to week. A fast healer. Barkley will work to miss only one week. This did happen last year, man, or not last year, two years ago when he suffered, I believe it was a high ankle sprain that time. This timetable was somewhere around six weeks. He got back in three. So there is someone, and this is why we were confident in Barkley, going back to what Dr. Evan Porras told us in the offseason, looking at a player under 25 years old that is a freak athlete like Saquon. We would expect him to recover. It just sucks that we now need to go through another recovery issue with Saquon Barkley. So hopefully he feels better moving forward, and it just sucks. There's no other way around it. More injuries. Kenny Galladay also ruled out with a knee. The Cowboys side of things got lucky, though. Ezekiel Elliott looked like he really messed up his back for a second, landed on a camera pylon, was healthy enough to come in and score a touchdown a few plays later. And uh, Dwayne, I'm not sure if you had the sound on for the Cowboys game, but this one cracked me up. So Amari Cooper, as we all know him to do, hobbles off after, you know, coming up a little bit uh, weird in the end zone. And Troy Aikman is like, wow, the way he hobbled off, I don't expect to see him for the rest of today. And literally like two plays later, Cooper was back out there on the field. And Troy, you know, to his credit was like, oh yeah, call me Dr. Aikman. Like he was making fun of himself for it. But it was just pretty, because Cooper does this every game. He's missed three career games. Like he plays through pain all all the time it is funny i mean not for cooper i wish he wouldn't get banged up at all but it is ironic how often he leaves the field only to come right back only real sheesh in this one dalton schultz had a red zone touchdown down the seam early and he dropped it but hey it's dalton schultz and when you're dalton schultz you get to be the cowboys number one pass game option third straight week that dalton schultz have more targets than amari cooper and cd lamb you know, Dwayne, I don't expect this to keep happening for the rest of the time, but until it doesn't, uh, Dalton Schultz, grade A baller, and I guess Dak Prescott's best friend. Last few notes, CeeDee Lamb had a deep 49-yard touchdown right past James Bradbury. We've always known it's just a matter of time and volume for CeeDee to get going again. Uh, when Zeke came back and scored, pretty hilarious. It was a brilliant play design where they got Zeke wide open in the flat, but this dude like started slowly high-stepping a good five yards away from the end zone. I legit thought the linebacker was going to catch him for a second, whatever he scored, and that is now... Six and five games on his way to potentially getting 20. One of your boys' bold preseason predictions. We don't need to cover the rest of them, but just know Zeke's chase for 20, one that we will be looking at. 
Trayvon Diggs, another interception. We don't talk a ton of defense on this podcast, people, but my goodness, you can't watch a Cowboys game for more than 10 minutes without seeing this dude go and try to get the ball. And he had a couple near ones in the first quarter. I love the way Jerry Jones put it. He said Trayvon Diggs is a great wide receiver. I think he said like, he's an excellent wide receiver that's doing a great job playing cornerback for us. That is what it looks like sometimes. Um, Cedric Wilson, who we brought up before, he makes like one really cool play every week. He completed a pass to Noah Brown. And I was like, wow, that's perfect. You know, token Cedric Wilson, cool play. And then he went ahead and caught a pretty deep sideline pass for 35 yards. So credit to Cedric Wilson, number one. I'm making two great plays this week. But Dwayne, where I want to throw it to you, at least to start, Kadarius Tony looks legit, man. 10 catches, 189 yards. They even lined him up in the Wildcat once, and he got a seven-yard rush out of that. Like, whatever people thought about the first-round pick, if he was worth it, pre-draft, yada, 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 whatever. I would just say, Dwayne, as someone that doesn't watch a ton of college football but tries to not write off anyone as fancy assets until we see them on an NFL field, Nothing from Tony over the past two weeks has indicated to me that he's someone that we probably shouldn't, that we should be trying to scoop him up on our fantasy teams now is my point because he does not need many targets to make a lot out of them. And I think his yak ability, man, at this point, it's hard to call it anything else but special. Yeah, I mean, he looks like the best player on the Giants right now. I mean, with Barkley hurt. Um, and I mean, obviously they've got everybody hurt. But, and as good as Sterling Shepard looked earlier this season, it's like, you know, Tony is just electric, right? You know, he's he's great with the ball in his hands after the catch. Now, he's obviously, you know, some of the same issues that he had in college that made him fall down draft boards you're seeing, like, during the game, like him throwing a punch at a player, all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, on the field, um, 54% targets per route run. Like, that's insane. 33% target share. Um, was 7.88 yards per route run today, Ian. Like, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's like, you know, kind of unheard of. You don't see that that often. Um, you will occasionally get it, you know, in a game. But that's a huge game for Tony. And, yes, we will be talking about Kadarius Tony on the waiver wire show. Devontae Booker, um, once you had Saquon Barkley out, Barkley only played 9% of the snaps. So you saw Booker take 88% of the snaps, 77% of the routes, 71% of the rushing attempts, 100% of the short down and distance and 84% of the long down and distance. Now, they didn't really have anybody else active that could have yeah. taken any of that work, so it had to all go to Booker. Um, but I do expect him to probably take over about 80 to 70% of what Barkley's leaving on the table. So if you are the Barkley you know, fantasy manager in your league and you know that you've got to go potentially a week or two without Barkley, you know, Booker is available in a lot of the leagues, so he's a guy that we'll talk about for sure on the waiver wire show. Um, as far as the Cowboys go, just I'll hit on Schultz real quick and all the other stuff we've hit in previous episodes. No new nuggets there, but Schultz, his routes actually came down this week. He was at 68%. He had gotten up over the 70% mark, but, but still... 32% targets per route run. Like So when he's out there, they're really looking for him. Um, and a lot of it's to do with the way the defenses are playing the Cowboys. And Dak's a smart enough quarterback that he's saying, okay, fine. I'll just throw it under here to Schultz. And Schultz had, you know, I think you mentioned it a second ago, but I mean, he could have had a touchdown as well, you know, that, um, you know, hit him right in the hands. It was a great throw by Dak. Um, 25% target share on the day. So yeah, Schultz until... These receivers are fully healthy. I think once you get Gallup back, that's obviously not going to help him. But it's like, hey, ride the wave while you can ride the wave, Ian. PFF, low stat. It's four. Trayvon Diggs, defensive one. How about that, people? Six interceptions this year. It's member, week five. Last season, in 16 games, the Honey Badger had six. J.C. Jackson had nine. Zayvon Howard had ten. That is it. Like, six is so freaking crazy. 
Defensive MVP talk probably needs to start here at some point. I know it's Aaron Donald's award to lose every single year, but people, if we're talking double-digit interceptions, and it's not like it's not like these are interceptions where we see Diggs make a great play one second and then you know he's gambling and losing on another one. This is not the Marcus Peters experience. Like this is Trayvon Diggs making one consistent bar hawk play after another every single week, and it has been a lot of fun to watch. In a not-so-entertaining NFC West shootout, Cardinals took down the 49ers 17-10. Arizona covered as 5.5-point favorites. The under cashed at 48-and-a-half. couple sheeshes in this one. Rondale Moore, I still don't know how this wasn't scored a touchdown. Like, he had a long play. I believe it was even like a rush attempt. Twenty? Or no, it was a pass. He gets outside, makes a couple dudes miss, and I, I don't know where his foot went out of bounds. Not only did they say it went out of bounds, but it said the ball didn't pass the pylon. Like, the announcers on the game were literally like, oh, they're going for two here. Okay. And they were still trying to score the touchdown because the ref rolled them down at the one yard line. So super confusing. And of course, James Conner had to come in and vulture him after that. So if you, you know, played James Conner today and you managed to get by on the 29 rushing yards, just know that that touchdown probably shouldn't have even been available if the refs just had given Rondale the score like they should have. Um, would also point out that DeAndre Hopkins should have had a short touchdown on the goal line. He was wide, wide, wide open, but Kyler threw it behind him and it went through Hopkins hands but seemed to me like a play where Kyler should have put it on him Kyler's reaction seemed to indicate that either way miscommunication between the two and final note that Trey Lance wasn't able to find the end zone for himself you know Debo Samuel scored the only touchdown on a 13-yard carry but man oh man did he try on a fourth and one Got to the goal line, tried to run over two guys, did not run over two guys, stuffed short at just the one-inch line. Man, I just, even that ball seemed to be going over the going over the pylon, a couple of those camber angles, but we know how everything seems to look the way you want it to look in super slow motion. So, in general, Trey Lance, 16 carries, 89 yards, and we saw a lot of the kind of erraticness that we talked about, and particularly you, you Dwayne, when going back and looking at his film before last week. You know, I think, uh, I think it was Pat Corain had the best tweet about it over at uh, NBC Sports. He's been on this podcast before, but Pat said, like, wow, Trey Lance has such a big arm. He might be able to throw an 80-yard interception. So, like, just looking at what he's doing out there, yeah, sometimes it's great. He squeezed one into Brandon Ayuk on the sideline where it was the only, only spot where he could get it. Another nice uh, gain to Ayuk down the middle where Ayuk ended up having some nice yak and got uh, 26 yards. Those were literally Ayuk's only two catches all game. Sorry, people. Didn't want to, you know, spoil that one and make you think something big happened there. But, like, we saw the flashes. But it's like, man, can you throw this thing not 90 miles per hour, like, once or something? So... I don't know. The fact he can do that is probably good in the long run. Maybe he'll learn how to put some touch on it. Maybe he doesn't need to. But either way, we're getting the rush attempts, and I think in future weeks we will see some scores come. So the 49ers are on a bye next week. That's seemingly going to give Jimmy G enough time to get healthy. But maybe Lance showed enough to Kyle to win this job. I'm not even going to pretend like I know what exactly is going through Shanahan's mind these days. Uh, any other final notes? Uh, DeAndre Hopkins really started to get back into form. I was getting a lot of questions about him start sit this morning, and the answer was always the same. You start DeAndre Hopkins each and every week, people. Six catches, 87 yards, and a touchdown. Caught a dope bomb. Next play, caught a dope fade because DeAndre Hopkins is a dope player, and I'll stop trying to say dope for the rest of the podcast after spamming you all. 
final nail in the Cardinals, Rondale Moore. I mentioned that touchdown. He also just had a spectacular catch down the sideline where he – the refs didn't even think he got his two feet down for a second and they collaborated and they end up ruling it a catch. But Rondale Moore, even if he's used more like a one trick pony, usually this kind of hybrid scat back, throwing the ball, you know, within five yards of the line of scrimmage. What he's shown in terms of downfield tracking ability so far has been nothing short of great as well. So here's to hoping that in a future Cardinals offense, we see someone like Rondale Moore getting truly featured to the best of his abilities. Sadly, Max 2X Williams. Looks like he tore an ACL. It was a really bad knee injury. He got carted off. Max was someone that was starting to pop up here more and more. Unfortunately, could be looking at a season-ending injury. So hopefully Max can get better there. Dwayne, I'll throw it over to you because on the surface, Elijah Mitchell's usage looked pretty good coming back, man. Yeah, it did. Um, 68% of the snaps, 50% of the routes per team pass play, 37% of the rushing attempts, but you had 52% of the design rushing attempts going to Trey Lance. So we'll come to that, you know, in a second. 75% of the short down and distance. And then, you know, he got a little over 40% of the long down and distance, and he got right at 40% of the two-minute offense. So, look, I mean, basically getting about half of the rushing attempts and going to be out there for half of the passing work, you know, in an offense that should continue, you know, we hope to get better, but we know they want to run the ball plenty. And so Trey Sermon was only out there for 4% of the rushing attempts and both of his came in the two minute offense. Um, so only 3% of the snaps for Trey Sermon. So this really is Elijah Mitchell's backfield, only 4, 4% of the rushing attempts to Kyle Juszczyk. So we didn't see him getting involved. He was still obviously out there doing some of the long down and distance stuff and helping with some of the pass blocking. And I think we'll continue to see that until you get like Jermichael Hasty or someone else back that can help relieve Juszczyk of some of those duties. But I think Mitchell is, you know, he's, he's safely, you know, high-end RB3, low-end RB2. This is more his backfield than not, you know. Um, so Trey Lance, you heard me already say, 52% of the rushing attempts. Um, for the team, which is great. Like that's, I mean, that's elite. Um, but then also 15.8% scramble rate on his dropbacks. So like that's a lot of running. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, only 205 yards passing. Um, it's 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 didn't look pretty, Ian. You know, he completed. Let's see here. He completed 52% of his passes. Um, our adjusted completion rate though shows him at 77%, which um, I'll be happy to dig into that tomorrow. Like, so it looks like more of his passes were on target, but you know, for whatever reason, they were not caught. So, um, and again, this is the first pass at the data. So our team is like the first time, time, you know, the team goes through it and they load up the data, then me, Ian and I are still in it to try to use for the show. So we'll see what that looks like tomorrow. But first glance, like maybe there's something with that, but overall, like when I was watching the game, and I had it on red zone, um, you know, whenever I didn't have it over on the Cowboys game. So it was just kind of, you know, when I was in commercials, I'd bounce over to red zone. So I didn't get to watch the whole game. But I saw two or three throws that I just thought, ugh, like it was just was not good like at all. But maybe it was a small sample size thing. Um, real quick, um, with the Cardinals leading the whole game, um, you saw Christian Kirk and Rondell Moore's roles pretty much even out. And I think, you know, really you called this last week, Ian, when you talked about Rondell Moore being involved a little bit more because of Chase Edmonds coming in the game with a banged up shoulder, it probably wouldn't all go to James Conner. We would see more of this go to Rondell Moore. And that's what we saw. Um, James Conner was at 38% of the rushing attempts. He's been right around 40% the whole season. But this game, we saw Rondell Moore get up to 48% of the snaps, 57% of the routes, but he also handled 8% of the rushing attempts, targeted on 30% 
targets per route run, um, 20% target share on the day. And to your point, DeAndre Hopkins, 30% target share. The last, he was at, he got up to 24% last week. Remember the two weeks before he was playing with a bad rib. I have a feeling the DeAndre Hopkins boom game, like it's on the way in. Like, you know, we're going to have to suffer one more week of people be like, oh, he got lucky, he caught the touchdown at the end. Like the utilization looks great for DeAndre Hopkins and, you know, it's probably a buy low window. I know people are like, oh, you can't just say buy low because of a bad week. Well, Hopkins has had a few bad weeks. And so anytime you have that, you just want to go ahead and see if the manager in your league, you know, for whatever reason, they're getting cold feet around a player. Um, and you'd be surprised, like recency bias, like we talk about a lot, like it's a really strong drug. And a lot of people like they can't help it. They just know what happened in the last game or two. And so Hopkins could be a potential buy low still, despite scoring the touchdown late here. PFF list that is for Trey Lance. People, he is now in a select club. Since 2000, the only quarterbacks with at least 15 rush attempts in a single game, Lamar Jackson, Cam Newton, Jalen Hurts, Tim Tebow, and Michael Vick. So Trey Lance joining an almost perfect group of other guys that we're expecting him to replicate sooner rather than later, at least in fantasy land. Again, remember, you do not need to be a great real life quarterback to be a great fantasy one. I know in today, you know, Lance was probably somewhere in between in both of those categories. But if we can just get the full time job with this sort of rushing load, we're going to be a OK, everybody. Most entertaining game of the day. Chargers took down the Browns 47-42. to Chargers covered as two-and-a-half-point favorites in the over hit at 46-and-a-half. Hell, Chargers freaking covered that themselves. So, Brandon Staley, you know, Justin Herbert, arguably the front runners for Coach of the Year, and maybe even MVP for Herbert at this point. Just the way Staley was going for it on fourth down from the start of the game to the end of it. He knew what he needed to do, and that was put up points to win this shootout, and they ended up doing just that. So, really, with Herbert, man, he just keeps impressing week after week. Five total touchdowns in this one, four through the air, one on the ground. The bombs to Mike Williams, who went off for 165 yards and two scores, they were kind of broken coverages, but it was also just like good play design, and they put a lot of stress on defenders downfield because you got Mike freaking Williams running past you. So Herbert put it on him. He got those scores. Keenan Allen also had six catches for 75 yards. Awesome. Eckler found his way into the end zone three total times, once as a receiver, twice as a rusher. He had 119 total yards. Like all these main Chargers guys were just going to hell off. Even XFL Hall of Famer Donald Parham found his way into the end zone once as well. So on the Chargers side of things, man, Herbert, Eckler, Williams, and Keenan, we were firing up all of them each and every week as high-end fantasy options out there, respective positions, and it feels good to do so. And, hey, you know, fantasy football people out there that won your matchup because of Austin Eckler, maybe uh, consider thanking the Browns because he did a really smart thing. He pulled the tall girly move, and I think it was uh, – was it Brian Westbrook that did it against the Cowboys in the 2000s, Dwayne? Yes. Yeah. There's, they have the room to score. They're about to score, and they think, wait a second, I can win this game if I stop at the one-yard line and don't score. So Eckler does that, and they were just going to kill the clock, kicking game-winning field goal with a little time left. On the next play, they got cocky, man. They got cute. Instead of just kneeling it, they gave it to Eckler. He tried to bounce around, and what did the Browns do? They pretty much carried Austin Eckler into the end zone from the two-yard line. So you can thank the Browns' defense for that third touchdown. On the Browns' side of things, I mean, Baker Mayfield, like, Okay, kudos for him for, I guess, being the guy that had to receive the snap and his offense put up 42 points. But this was not the sort of bounce-back performance we were hoping for. 
42 points is 42 points. Browns fans shouldn't be disappointed about Stefanski or the effort, but 32 pass attempts to 305 yards were heavily aided by some big yak gains, most notably David Njoku going 71 yards to the house. And hey, Njoku's a beast, and so are some of these other guys, but I just don't think, even if they're putting up 42, man, like we're not going to see the best version of Baker with our eyes and with the numbers until they can get more than two catches and 20 yards out of Odo Beckham. So credit Donovan's Peoples-Jones for having 70 yards. Rashad Higgins caught a touchdown. They're fine. I still think for the Browns to reach the point they want to be, to be the best offense they want to be, they need to get more out of OBJ, who did drop one of his targets, but only three targets for this guy. Like, what are we doing throwing bombs at the end of the game and the triple coverage not to OBJ at this point? So I'm not saying we need to have this dude be this 12-target person, but again, if you saw his first catch where he was, you know, Got two feet down, barely on the sideline of contested coverage. God forbid you watched the game last week. I think you'll know that OBJ is not the problem. He could be the solution, though. And with these running backs, man, Nick Chubb finally got one of those vintage 52-yard romps to the house where you're like, how is someone that big also that fast? But, Dwayne, as we talked about, and we were getting a little bit slandered there on the uh, video that the social media team put out, which I always appreciate you guys doing, suggesting that Kareem Hunt could actually be the guy we rank higher than Nick Chubb. And from a pure touch standpoint, no. Nick Chubb had 21 carries. But Kareem Hunt came in. If you want to call it a vulture, you can. He scored two touchdowns inside the 10-yard line, though, and he also added on five receptions. So a lot on the plate here, Dwayne. Luckily, there weren't any injuries to speak of. Mike Williams seemingly got rolled up on the sideline, the ankle injury, like red zone, cut to it and everything, and there was a lot of concern going on. And then he saw Herbert throw deep, and I was like, oh, he's throwing the Mike Williams. I guess he must uh, be okay there. So no injuries and just a lot of fantasy points being scored, Dwayne. Any uh, particular utilization that sticks out to you other than OBJ getting three freaking targets? Yeah, the big one really is Nick Chubb played 48% of the long down and distance and 64% of the two-minute offense. We have not seen that. So he was out there for 44% of the routes today, um, which was almost the same as Kareem Hunt, which was at 42%. So it's just it's, it's a monitoring thing. You know, for you folks that read the utilization report, I've got these different terms that I use. Like this is like, okay, antenna's up. A couple weeks ago, we saw this kind of thing with Derrick Henry. The next, way it, the next week, it completely went away. I haven't had a chance to watch this game. Who knows? Cream Hunt may have been gassed for some period of time. He did get, I think he got like poked in the eye at did some he? point. So I that could have been that, it. Yeah. They could have went to the two-minute offense right when that happened. And then, you know, that would lead. Because the two-minute okay. offense, you know, it might be 15 snaps, you know, would be a lot that would make in sense. a game. Yeah, so so we'll have to look. I'll have to dig deeper into that tomorrow for the utilization report. But definitely caught my eye, David Njoku, despite only being out there for fifty three percent of the freaking routes. I will say Njoku, his targets per route run have been really good this year. He and Harrison Bryant, like it's been Hooper out there running more routes, but not getting targeted. Where it's Njoku and Harrison Bryant hardly running any routes, and they're getting targeted more often. Of course, Harrison Bryant today came up with a big donut in the targets per route run. Um, you already hit on everything with Beckham. The good news is, folks, he is out there. Like it's got to come right eventually 89 percent of the routes he led the team and then you have uh mike williams man 36 percent target share 61 percent of the air yards oh my gosh ian like mike williams wow like one of the stories of the 2021 fantasy football season is mike williams five-week sample pff low stat here keenan allen 51 targets mike williams 48 keenan's been good 34 catches 369 yards and a touchdown mike 31 catches, 471 yards, six touchdowns. 
Are we, are we ranking Mike over Keenan next week, Dwayne? Yeah, I think we have to, to be honest. Like, I mean, look, and it's not even a shot at Keenan. Keenan can no. still be ranked highly. Like, I ranked Mike Williams over Keenan this week. It's just that Mike <laughs> is now at the party. He's not, like, hanging out. In the, he's not at the kids' table anymore. Yeah, like, he's exactly. next to Keenan. Yep. Great stuff from Big Mike. Bears, last game here, everyone. Bears beat the Raiders 20-9. Chicago covered as a five-and-a-half-point dog. Under hit at 46. Couple sheeshes. Josh Jacobs, short rushing touchdown, nullified by not one, but two holding calls. I don't know what the refs had in for the Raiders today. I'm not even saying like they weren't holds, but I just don't remember all that often seeing a holding penalty and the ref calling two separate offensive linemen for it. And it happened in the Raiders twice on one drive. So that stuck out to me. Derek Carr, like, actually, surprisingly, made this real nice play, escaping the pocket and kind of getting out and still throwing an accurate ball downfield. He's awesome from the pocket, but we do see some trouble come when he tries to extend plays. Brian Edwards, a.k.a. T.O., a.k.a. Randy Moss, dropped it. So that could have been a nice game. And then at the end of the game, fourth and five, last kind of hope to really extend things, had Edwards a little bit open down the seam. Would have been a nice ball, but Carr overthrew it. So... I wouldn't overly freak out this one, people. I know it's back-to-back week where the Raiders haven't looked that good. It was against the Bears and a Chargers defense that is certainly much better against the pass and confusing things there as opposed to the run. So Carr, Waller, Ruggs, Edwards, none of these guys did all that much. Hunter Renfro caught six passes for 56 yards because he always catches at least five passes because we got to love our guy, official cool bro, Hunter Renfro, who will knock your head off if you try to do a fake punt and his team doesn't know about it. We also did see Josh Jacobs find his way back into the end zone later and catch four passes for his trouble. So um, quickly, Dwayne, on the Chicago side of things, just more like mediocre uses from Justin Fields that isn't going to get him any closer to us starting him in fantasy. He has this, he has nothing about his skill set has changed that made everyone love this dude in the pre-draft process to begin with. But last week he threw 17 passes this week. He threw 20 last week. He had three rush attempts this week. He had three rush attempts. It's great that Nagy designed them, but at this point using him as a rusher, this is not something they're even a little bit interested in and him hurting his ankle and briefly having to come out of the game. Isn't going to help that. So, you know, at the end of the game third and five game on the line like they dialed up a QB sweep they are aware of who they have in Justin Fields but it is not even close to the way that Trey Lance and some of these Jalen Hurts and these other dual threat quarterbacks are being used so for now Justin Fields if it wasn't already it just really needs to be a wait and see situation he's nothing more than a low-end QB2 at this point um nothing too much from the receivers again it's just hard for these guys to do much when you're only throwing the ball 20 times I'll throw this one over to you Dwayne because Khalil Herbert I thought he'd have a role. Did he outsnap Damian? He sure outtouched him. Yeah, 53% of the snaps versus 48%. Wow. Um, and Damian only 37% of the routes. I would have thought that number would have been around 70%. Rushing attempts, 49% for Khalil Herbert, 43% for Damian Williams. Now, we did see last week whenever um, Herbert and Damian Williams came in to spell Montgomery, we weren't for sure because small sample size, but we're like, you know, they – Kind of used Cole Herbert here in the four-minute offense. The Bears were basically running a freaking four-minute offense the whole damn game today. They just wanted it to be over. And so um, they had the lead, so maybe that's part of it with Herbert. But 60% of the short down and distance, 50% of the long down and distance. Khalil Herbert had 100% of the two-minute offense. I got to go check. It might have been half a snap. because Why? The Bears don't Damian already had that rule. Why would you take it away just, from the guy? I don't know. I don't know, Ian. I just report the news. <laughs> but, like, yeah. So, like, if you went and blew, like, 60% on Damian Williams, like, I'm not saying, like, this is going to last this way. But, man, like, this – 
you're not happy about this at all. Um, the good news is targeted on 30% of his routes. So even though he didn't get to run that many, he still managed a 13% target share. But at the same time, you're like, Dwayne, Ian just said they only threw the ball, whatever, five times in the whole game. So it's like, what's 13% target share worth? It's not worth very much. Um, Justin Fields, 8% of the design rushing attempts, not enough. 0% scramble rate. That sucks. You can't start Justin Fields, period. You folks probably already knew that. Um, A-Rob, Mooney, fine, getting their targets, but the offense sucks. On the Raiders' side, really just one player to hit. It's Josh Jacobs, man. 69% of the snaps, 48% of the routes, 76% of the rushing attempts. And so this is a game where the Raiders were losing the whole time. And Josh Jacobs managed to stay out there, which makes you wonder, again, like what really is Kenyon Drake's role? Kenyon Drake was only out there for 20% of the routes. But he got 26% of the long down distance, 36% of the two minutes. So he's not even getting all of that. You know why? Because you got to get Jalen Richard on the field, Ian. <laughs> Jalen Richard deserves to be on the field. So Kenyon Drake is now splitting his role with Jalen freaking Richard. So Merry Christmas, uh, Raiders backfield. Uh, 23% targets per route run to Josh Jacobs, though 13% target share to Josh Jacobs. So Josh Jacobs is low end RB2. You know, we just need the Raiders offense to look more like what it looked like whenever, you know, we were loving it versus the last two weeks where things have just fallen apart on them a little bit. They get the Broncos next week, not necessarily guaranteed to go better there. After that though, Eagles, Giants, Chiefs, Bengals, Cowboys starting to turn a little bit more in the right direction. So I still do think people, Josh Jacobs, someone that many of us, including myself, were not even including in the top 24 running backs necessarily before the season because of Drake and because of the potential for someone else. Based on this usage, Dwayne's right. Low-end RB2, and if the offense gets his shit together, we're back to the RB1. So, again, I don't. I, lo I love the idea. I do. I want to buy low on Josh Jacobs because this is actually a running back we can get that we don't have to break the bank for. You can probably flip a couple flex guys, you know, pay 90 cents for the dollar. Someone player. may pay you to take Josh Jacobs from Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Like, this is not Alvin Kamal. Like, I'm not saying to make some huge trade that's going to turn your roster upside down. You very well might be able to get this guy legit. Like, he is a buy low player you can actually use low pieces to buy. Like, crazy concept. It's funny that word doesn't mean that more often. PFF, Lily, stat though. Players with five receptions in each and every game this season. Devontae Adams, Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup, DJ Moore, and of course... Hunter Renfro keeps on keeping on. Find a way to get that dude in your wide receiver three range and full point per reception formats. He has earned it. Dwayne, we are done. We got halftime concluding for Bill's Chiefs. You know, I my one thing going into this game, my like home league important fantasy matchup, I just couldn't have uh, Josh Allen and Tyreek Hill go nuts. Uh, yeah, Josh Allen has like three touchdowns and 260 total yards in the first half. So <laughs> I'm going to go drink. I've been glancing over there and yeah, it's uh, Josh is doing his thing. <laughs> I'm going to drink a lot and um, think about the steps that I've taken to uh, lose this badly to Josh Allen. But anything uh, else you want to get off your chest? No, man. No. Great show. I enjoyed it. Looking forward to the waiver wire uh, program tomorrow. Program. That's when you know you're an old person when you say program. That's what, that's what my daughter, my daughter Zoe, always like. She's like, you probably call like shows programs. 
I'm like, no, I don't. But now you've put that in my head, and I'm saying it on a freaking podcast. Come check out the PFF Fantasy Football Program on <laughs> Tuesday. We'll have our waiver wire edition out then. On Wednesday, we'll have Dwayne and I's game-by-game preview for the following week. Guest is on on Thursday. Um, or, yeah, you know, DFS show, and then we talk some injuries. It's late. We got to go. My heart hurts because jo- I like I love Josh Allen. He's just kicking my ass right now. So, for Dwayne, for Ian, thank you, as always, for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast slash program. And until next time, take care, everybody. 